First off, uh, thank you guys for jumping on today for, for doing this. Yeah. So today we got, well, we got Miss Brooke Morgan and we got Brett Jacobson. Um, Brett, do you want to go first and just give a little intro and who you are? Sure, no problem. So, yeah, my name is Brett Jacobson. I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing for Loom Acres. Um, fairly new to the company, but um, have uh, quickly learned a lot about what our staff and um, what we do as a company and kind of our, uh, our mission statement, which is providing, you know, wildlife management with a particular set of, um, you know, ethical and responsible uh, practices. Um, and so my job primarily is just to kind of tell the story of all of our staff uh, that's out in the field um, in a way that, you know, obviously either potential clients as well as our current clients and then, you know, anybody on social media can kind of either relate or see the behind the scenes work that everybody does because what we do obviously as a company is, is really neat and it's really, it's really cool. So um, yeah. And obviously um, you know, being new to the industry, but you know, being an avid outdoorsman, um, it, it's kind of a perfect fit for me. Um, you know, obviously I have a, a very diverse background in sales and marketing on a corporate side. Um, so the transition has been, been pretty interesting. Um, I definitely didn't think I'd read as much, uh, FAA regulation, uh, you know, uh, papers and, and, and certain texts or even some, uh, you know, obviously, um, we have a lot of published, uh, published stuff that, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd read so much on the actual biology of, uh, wildlife and airports and how they coexist. Um, so that's been quite an adjustment, but overall it's been a pretty smooth transition and, uh, really like the direction of the, the, of our company and where we're going and, uh, pretty excited to, uh, to join the podcast here. Very cool. And again, we have Miss Brooke Morgan. Um, how about you? Can you give us a little brief intro on, on who you are and what you've been up to? Yeah, so I am the wildlife biologist for Loomakers out here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I just cover uh, the Lincoln Airport that we have here and um, no other contracts as of right now. I started off with Loomakers in summer of 2019 in Rhode Island where I was covering um, five different airports and a Navy base out there. And... They offered me to lateral here to Nebraska, so I figured I'd get on this side of the Mississippi for a little bit and see how I like being a Midwesterner. And yeah, so I'm sure we'll dive more into what I do on a daily basis here throughout this podcast. And sorry, I'm quite congested today. We have a little switch in weather, and my allergies are not happy about it. Yeah, I heard you guys have been getting pounded in the Midwest. I heard about, uh, you guys never got into that, that stuff to hit Iowa, right? We got five minutes of it. I was actually on the airfield, and I watched it come across, and I was like, this is going to be bad. And so I started heading towards, like, a safer spot, and we literally just, like, 50-mile-per-hour wind smacked us a little bit and then moved right on to Iowa. 
And now we're getting hit with high hundreds and high humidity again because summer's just not over yet. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It's about how it is here. It was, it was at 9 a.m. here. It was already 99 degrees out. Yeah, I was driving back last night from Iowa, and it was still 90 degrees at almost 10 o'clock, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's that hot, muggy weather over there. Oh, yeah, but it makes the corn grow, so. Well, the corn is left standing anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching, uh, there's a guy on YouTube, um, uh, what's his name, the Millennial Farmer or something, he's up in Minnesota, but he did a video. He drove down into into Iowa and was showing all the damage that was going on there, and it said something like 38 million acres of corn damage. It's something outrageous like that. Oh, for sure. I mean, just like people were out with power for like almost five days, um, and like tractor trailers were getting blown all over highways. I mean, and even not just empty ones. Like my friend, she saw one that was full of pigs that got completely toppled over, and I was like, it's just crazy how strong that wind can be. Yeah, that's. That's unreal. Yeah, I heard grain bins were just flying everywhere. But, uh, yeah, so how do you like it so far in the Midwest versus, you know, something more like the, the Mid-Atlantic or the Maritime states? Uh, I've been loving it, actually. So I used to live in Idaho for – I did that for about a year and a half, and I moved all over, you know, that state, and I was out in the West and loving that lifestyle. And when I moved back East, I uh, – I knew it was going to be a bit of an adjustment for me. Like, I grew up in upstate New York, so I'm from the East Coast, and I've, I've lived that lifestyle, you know, my, all my adolescent years, but yeah. it's just not for me anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as I got an opportunity to get out, it was, I jumped at it. Like, within, Kristen was all about it, or uh, the, I'm sure she's been introduced on this show before, but anyways. Um, Actually, no. <laughs> no. Okay, so Kristen, our, our president, um, she, like, wanted as soon as I told her I wanted to go to Nebraska she was all about it so uh, I moved here in the middle of May and I actually just hit my third month and I have no plans on moving anytime soon Lincoln it's a pretty cool spot I would like to be a little more west in Nebraska I've been exploring a bunch of the state and it is a cool I feel like very underrated state and I like that a lot because that means people don't actually want to come here (laughs) and it's kind of nice to around plus they're quite prideful of their state i mean we're huge husker fans obviously and even with corona going on i mean it's still just you just see it throughout the state and they're all very nice people here so i'm loving it that's awesome so that's one thing that um i know you and i have in common we both spent some time a little bit of time in idaho i think you spent more time up there than i did oh oh idaho it's such a great place i could go <laughs> on about that state for days so Hopefully Brett doesn't get up too upset with us, but for going on these tangents. But uh, uh, like, what what did you do when you were up there? So in Idaho, I that's where I started working as a technician at, right after college. So I graduated uh, December 2017 from SUNY Cobble Skill in New York with uh, my bachelor's in wildlife management, and I got a job starting in February in Rogerson, Idaho, which is a tiny, tiny little desert town, um, borders Nevada in the most southern part of Idaho, um, chasing sage in the desert for a study to compare how cattle affected sage nesting. And then from that job, I moved up to near Lewiston, which um, is about three quarters of the way up in the north. Not quite northern Idaho just yet, but also like that state's kind of weird because it's like an awkward like panhandle state. Right. Um, 
But yeah, so I was up in Lewiston and I did high mountain lake work with Idaho Fish and Game where we were doing a 20-year study of uh, seeing how historically trout stocking in high mountain lakes has affected amphibians. And then from that job, I moved um, to a hatchery down in Wendell, which is near Twin Falls, and I raised steelhead for almost, I stayed there for a while. I was at the hatchery for about nine months, um, which it was just really neat. I've been really wanting to try hatchery work, so that was like a fun little time for me to like see if I really liked fisheries work. And I started looking more like, fisheries work is really cool. Um, so I tried to, but I like wildlife work a little bit better. Um, so I thought I was going to try to apply for more wildlifey jobs, but then I got asked to do a salmon research job in the Sawtooth Mountain Range as my last position with Idaho Fish and Game before I moved on to Bluemakers, and I couldn't say no to a summer in the Sawtooth. So went and ran around in the mountains for another summer, and it was a fantastic time. Nice. Were you based out of Stanley then in the Sawtooth? Oh, yes, I was. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty hard to beat a, a summer in Stanley. Oh, I, yeah. It's just – it's great, especially, um, so I was there, I started there in sometime in July, and of course, it was still touristy season, but once Labor Day hit and everybody went home for the summer, it was just great, because the town's only 64 people, so right. once all the tourists leave, nobody's left, and it's awesome to just, like, I was hiking, so my job on a day-to-day basis is we'd go and do these transects along streams looking for uh, salmon reds, which are basically, like, nest for salmon to lay their eggs in and I uh then I would go and be like eh, I should probably go start this eight mile hike and be six o'clock at night and I just like you had so many opportunities to I learned how to fly fish out there um you know there's a bunch of us fishing game employees all living in campers like right next to each other on uh federal land so it was just it was a lot of fun to be around everybody like with the same interests and we all kind of like would do surveys together and I helped with like salmon trapping and um, all kinds of different work and got my hands all sorts of dirty whatnot. Basically lived, you know, in the back country, but I still got to come home to a camp every night. That's, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I remember those, uh, they had me doing those red counts there for a little while as well. Um, when I worked at one of the hatcheries, uh, I was at, I was at the Pesimeroy hatchery in 2014. Uh, I worked there and did red counts along the Lemhi river and, um, that's just a fantastic part of the state, fantastic part of the country in all reality. I heard those, uh, the red count walks over there in the Samurai area is there, some of them can be quite challenging. Uh, a lot of our friends like would come over from the salmon office to come like work with us. And I never had to go over to the salmon region, but I did hear that it's definitely not a walk in a park like it is in the Satis. No, I mean, there's a lot of brush country. Um, it's a, it's a rougher walk. Uh, remember, even just fishing the Pesimeroy, it's so brush covered and choked. Uh, just trying to, you know, just trying to fish it, you'd be up the water, up to your, up above your belly button, just uh, just trying to cast a fly line. Exactly. Yeah, that's all yeah. I'd hear about it. Yeah. We didn't have too many issues. We had one brushy one that kind of used to annoy me and like after a while I would like ask my boss because he'd be like oh where does everyone walk today I'm like not that trance like please like anyway yeah. <laughs> so that's the way it goes some of them get famous and some of them get infamous oh yeah <laughs> so after your time in Idaho is when you uh joined up with Lou Maker so 
sounds like uh, so what got you interested in airport work in, in, in reference to like you know more of the the general state work we'll call it like so I um actually have always been interested and even in my college years and like in Idaho too I really got more interested into it and like was applying to jobs that dealt with human and wildlife um like wildlife man like damaging uh wildlife damage management and then also like with human and wildlife conflict so I had to take a damages class where we learned all about the different kind of conflicts that, and how to like almost resolve them between humans and wildlife which we all know it's a huge issue because as the human population grows we're like you know affecting the habitats and the wildlife around us and we have to kind of like learn to work together and I like to be a huge advocate for both wildlife and then also like um, I got really interested in the agricultural part of it, like advocating for ranchers, but also being like, if we work together, we can like, you guys can still make a profit, but we can still have this habitat available. So that's where like my interest started to grow. So I started applying for jobs that like made it so I could start getting some of that, um, some of that experience to help, you know, mitigate these issues. And with airport work, like, that just, I mean, it screams mitigating an issue because, you know, you have planes in the sky, you have birds in the sky, you have deer running around on runways. So it was just, you know, the next adventure in my mind, honestly. Right. Just opening up the next chapter. Yeah. And like I, I did fisheries work for just, um, just about a year in Idaho because like my stagecraft job was only like a four or five month job. So I was in fisheries for a while. And I, like I said, I really do enjoy fisheries work. I'm very interested in it, but I wanted to get back to the wildlife side. So this was, it was just opening so many doors for me to come in with homemakers. And I, it's been an eye-opening experience. Like being a technician and then switching over to a full-time biologist was just like, I don't think I was ready to do it at 23, but here we are still trucking through it. <laughs> no, that's pretty awesome. Especially you go, because you went straight from, if I got, if I'm right, you went straight from Idaho to Rhode Island, you know, managing six, you know, six different airfields. I mean, that's a pretty good, you know, that's a pretty good chunk of responsibility. Yeah. I, I don't really think I knew what I was getting myself into. It all happened quite fast. It was just like, you know, I interviewed with Tom, our office manager uh, in early November and they offered me the job pretty quick and I knew it was going to be a rough time leaving Idaho. So I was just like, I'm going to put in my two weeks now. <laughs> And I'm going to get through. And it took about, I, I took a while to get home just because, like, I just knew it was going to kind of hurt to come back to the East a little bit. But, um, and I want, I have just, I made so many friend connections and just so many connections with fishing game and throughout the state. Like, I wanted to enjoy it because I didn't know the next time I was going to be able to go on that side of the Rockies again. So right. I uh, enjoyed a little bit of time to get back. But, yeah, once I got to Rhode Island, it was like, um, you know, I hit the ground running with that and Cody trained me for about a month and once I got comfortable like springtime was a lot of fun because you then I had you know because I had the winter to settle in for a little bit but then spring migration hit and it was just it was a blast to finally be comfortable like okay this airport needs this much energy of my time because like you know they're having deer issues or this airport like uh a lot of geese have moved in and now I have to like mitigate that and then on the naval base like you know before nesting season for geese I had like flocks of almost 500 geese eating on the lawns which the reason I was at the navy base was basically more of um they just didn't like the geese and obviously like having geese people matter all over the place and they're right. mean and 
So uh, with it being a college campus and, you know, people walking around and stuff like that, just wasn't a good image to have all those birds there. So that's what I was mitigating a lot. I was so happy when nesting season hit and all those birds took off and left because there was, like, no nesting habitat on the, air, or the, the naval base. So it was nice to get them off. No, that's pretty cool. And then, so one thing I know Brett wanted to talk about today is, is uh, you know, we hired, you know, Will Makers hired you, but it sounds like we got kind of a two-for-one deal. A little bit, yeah. So I have Grace, my three-year-old golden retriever. Um, and when I was in Rhode Island, uh, I also, I had a Will Makers canine uh, epic, which he's still there working with the biologist that's there currently. Um so yeah, the job implied that like I'd be working with a canine to chase geese around and I was like, well, perfect. I already have a bird dog that likes to flush birds. And then I'm just going to add now I like, it's like two for one and like you have two dogs going after all the birds. It works great. Um, so yeah, Grace I found on the side of the road in Wendell, Idaho. Uh, so where I lived in the hatchery at Niagara Springs Fish Hatchery, we lived down in the canyon. And there's only one road into the canyon and one road out in that part of the canyon section. And so I was out to dinner with a friend, and we came home, and we stopped at the top of the canyon to let his dog out. So this, like, you know, it was all just wildlife management area right there. So it's just basically all this free area he can run around in, and we're going in for the night. So it's like, we'll just let Norman run around. And all of a sudden, in the headlights of the pickup truck, there's two golden retrievers just staring at me. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> Let's see what we can do about this situation. And it's just like, you know, with farms and stuff like that, hatcheries and wildlife management areas out west, it happens too, where like people dump cats, dogs, just unwanted animals. So she actually was one of five dogs that I picked up out of that area in the nine months I lived there. Um, she's the only one I kept though, because <laughs> you can't, gotta limit yourself someplace. And since I've had her, I knew I wanted to use her for hunting eventually and so yeah so I've been using her for work it's been great because it's not only do I get to use her uh, bird chasing skills a lot um, now I get to use her for retrieving and she's really good at finding holes in the fences or if I'm trapping I like to use her to see like where the coyotes or the foxes have been because she's just got a fantastic nose for it that way I know that you know they're part of territory in certain areas and I can use that for my trap lines um so that's kind of what I want to talk a little bit more about is um you you kind of skimmed over it there but so she she helps you out with a you know kind of a myriad of duties you know you said she um helps you with your trapping you know through like she, she finds the holes you know you know about the holes mostly for like small mammal kind of stuff or is it all kind of coyote control where you are or like what kind of animals are you dealing with Grace is notorious for finding uh, 
coyote feces and rolling in it, or any kind of, not even just coyote, but any kind of feces and rolling in it. So she's really good at finding that kind of stuff. And it's great because then like, I can also collect that feces to use on different trap locations. So then I'm also marking, you know, my territory basically on those traps to be more successful at catching either whatever the problem um, species is, which, so yeah, in Rhode Island, it was a lot of coyote and raccoon, where now in Nebraska, we have quite the fox problem that's ongoing and it's just because like um just from previously like uh the last pile just not always being like so on top of um taking care of the foxes because like i mean you have to mitigate those issues and since summer right now is really slow and i'm still getting calls about foxes on but like say when geese come back into like my life once they start migrating and whatnot i know i'm going to be focusing on that but right now i've been focusing a lot on trapping because there's holes in the, underneath the fences because they dig right underneath the fence and right. you know it's just an easy thing for me to do right now and kind of keep myself occupied so yeah her and i last week actually just walked the whole fence line at lincoln airport and, um of the spot that's not that doesn't have concrete underneath because uh half our airport half the perimeter fence line has concrete to keep things from digging underneath and then the other half of the airport doesn't have that so we I physically walk those lines so then her and I can look for the holes and then I can figure out if I want to set it, if it's a new or old hole, I'll put dirt in it to see if it's going to be used, um, whatnot. So it's great to use her nose for that and uh, just to watch her work the whole fence line and she's just, she loves it. That's pretty cool. So when you say the, it has concrete prevented, is it kind of like a, like a footer almost, like a concrete footer that the, the poles in the, in, the, in the fencing are sunk into or? I'm just trying to picture so, it. Right yeah, here. the fencing isn't sunk into, sunk into, but the poles are, and it's like, yeah, it's just a, like a footer or a slab of concrete underneath. I don't know how far it goes down into it, but it, like the chain link fence is like touching it. Okay. So like, uh, for the most part, other than near like where gate openings are, um, I'm not too worried about much getting through those gate or through that fence line, just because. Um, one, I haven't seen too much activity come through, and the airport authority that I work with right now in Lincoln is really great about notifying me if they see anything come through fence lines and stuff while they're out mowing or whatever, so they keep me up to date on that, but yeah, so we have that on the north end of our airport, and I don't know why they don't have it on the full end. I'm sure it's because of, like, funding or whatever, because that can't be cheap to put in, but... Oh, yeah, concrete, yeah, concrete itself is expensive before you put the fence, I mean, I think the... Uh, last I heard, I think concrete is going for like a thousand dollars a truck. Um, right, geez. Yeah, and it's you know that adds up pretty quick, especially you know if it's kind of a smaller, a smaller airfield. Probably don't just don't have the funding as of yet. But, um, just one of the fun things we get to deal with in, in this profession, I guess, is is dealing with those, uh, not only balancing our own, but figuring out what everybody else can afford to do as well, and recommending based on that. Right, exactly, and, like, I used to deal with that a lot with the GAs, is just because, like, their fencing would just be falling apart, and I'm like, well, they'd be like, well, there's coyotes in it on the airfield, I'm like, well, if you fix the holes in the fences, we might not have that much of an issue, but, yeah. you know, it's just, and that's why they have us here to help them. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the, the cool parts of this job, is, you know, we get to be that fence of sorts, and yes. um, I remember working on a couple that, you know, they had deer constantly, but there was no fence, there, um, there was only a fence over, like, like maybe 60% of the airfield and the rest of it was wide open woods and grassland. I've dealt with that as well. And it's, yeah. uh, we'll say it is kind of fun to get in tune with your rifle when you got deer running all over. Oh yeah. You figure it out real quick. 
So with, uh, with Grace, um, did she require any kind of training or did she just kind of pick up, you know, automatically? Like, how did you notice that, you know, she was going to be an asset to your, your management? So um, when I was in Idaho with her, I have a bunch of friends that work on cattle ranches. So they have their cattle dogs to push cows. And, you know, Grace was kind of always around them hanging out. And we started using, like, the same terms of, like, getting her to basically herd things. And then um, so once she learned, because, like, when I first got her, I mean, she didn't know anything. She was terrified of the world, quite scared of walking through doorways, walking through up to people, like, wouldn't jump into my car, like, just not, like, he was just a little mortified, the little thing, and so I started building her confidence and seeing, like, you know, what, like, good assets that she has, because, like, I've learned more, like, I do love having dogs as pets, but I also love using them for the skills that they're bred for, and, right. um, not fully sure if she's a full golden retriever, obviously, just because I did find her, but, like, there are some setter tendencies to her, so that's why I looked more flushing than retrieving at first, because I couldn't get her to be interested in retrieving a tennis ball whatsoever <laughs> when I first got her. But, um, so yeah, and then we just started doing it on birds. Like we would just see, uh, grouse out in the sawtooths because when I take her out on salmon walks with me, we'd see a lot of, um, spruce grouse and uh, some rough grouse depending on where we're at. We saw those more on the East coast when we were hiking a bunch, but yeah, she's always my hiking buddy. So if we see any kind of like chicken sized bird, <laughs> I was always just sending her out, and then she finally found out it's kind of fun to make those birds fly up, and now she just, like, sees even, like, small little robins or doves or anything. She just, like, wants to kick that bird up, um, <laughs> which sometimes is great, and then other times I'm just, like, really dog, like, can you not do that right now while you're on the leash? Um, but, yeah, so, like, I just figured out how to get her to have that drive, and then um, – when I brought her to Rhode Island and like had the collie epic to chase the geese, I was like, well, this is going to be great. You know, like having the two dogs work together and uh, epics get a little bit older too. So it's like, you know, you got this young little golden retriever that'll like chase and run no matter what. And then also like epic to actually like push them. So I got them using the same terms and Grace just found out geese are a fun time. <laughs> They are big, they're loud, they're annoying, and there's a lot of them, and just to push a whole field of them, I mean, she gets so excited about it. I can't even take her to, like, walk in a park, and she hears a honk, and she just goes nuts, because she just wants to chase geese. I'm like, we're in a public area, Grace, we can't do that right now. So that's how that started. And then, on top of, like, working with uh, the flushing, um, then I realized if I can get her and she knows like her command. So like to get ahead is like to push her out in front of me to like make her be like, Oh, there's birds ahead. Like you need to get ahead of me. And then, um, also, and then obviously just like go get the bird where she like, here's the word bird and she just perks up. Um, but once she gets in her eyesight, she goes ahead. And what's nice about it is like, I was doing this a little bit when I first got to Nebraska too, when I just had her by herself, but it's like, it's nice for her to like, I can kind of direct her in which way to go and chase the geese instead of like, I guess comparing to a pyrotechnic where like, yeah, you can shoot a pyrotechnic off, but like you also don't really know which way the birds are going to push after that, or fly after that. Right. Where, they like, can, I can use to guide them to like a certain area and then they'll take off in that direction. Because, like, I don't know if you ever, like, chase the, feel the geese around, but they tend to run a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and then all of a sudden take off, so it's kind of good to, like, get them going away from the airfield instead of crossing, like, going across the airfields. Right, especially, you know, because I've noticed that, like, a lot of geese, or a lot of birds in general, too, but especially geese, they'll, you know, based on the wind direction, you know, they might 
you know, if they got a certain loafing spot they want to go to, they might fish hook on you, and you don't know which way they're going to fish hook until until they do it. Right, um, exactly, and that's, like, I've watched it happen, too, and, like, that's why I just, like, try to compare, like, using a dog versus pyros, and also, like, and this is also for spots where, like, I can't carry a shotgun around, because, like, you know, the highway's right there, or, like, yeah. whatever, just where I can't, like, uh, easily hide uh, what I'm doing from the public eye sometimes. And I know Nebraska's a little more lax about things, but... I also don't need someone calling the cops on me because I've had that happen before with this job. Because people have seen like truck on the airport with a gun, and they're like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, right. well, "It's okay, guys. I promise. Like, I'm supposed to be doing this." So that's pretty cool that you oh you, know, you have. I mean, she's a. I mean, she, she's your friend, but she's also a pretty valuable tool in the toolbox. You know, for when you, you know, you can't do the more conventional styles of of mitigation. Yeah, and our latest skill that we've kind of conquered together is uh, I've actually learned, because I grew up shooting rifles more than shotguns, so I've actually honed in my shotgun skills a little bit better. I'm not the best, but I at least I'm doing better, um, because dove is quite the problem here in Nebraska. Dove season's coming up, so they are just moving in and taking home on my airfields. You know, we try to keep the foxtail and, like, any other attractants down as much as we can, and, like, I'm thankful for my authority guys here. Like, they keep up with mowing, and they're just always on top of it, and I love it. But, you know, sometimes, you know, my shots are always great, and I just injure the bird instead of just, you know, drop it right there, and it's been great to send her out because she just uses her nose and finds it, retrieves it for me because, like, you just don't want to, like, leave anything Right. on the airfield as a temptation for any other mammal or bird or like because we also have hawks around and like you know and foxes and stuff like scavenging around like just don't want that temptation on my airfield no that's pretty awesome and being able to you know get that you're that much more effective you know even you know on the back side of the shot so uh no that's that's pretty awesome that uh that she allows you to have that kind of effectiveness on your airfield um uh, Brad, I got to get a drink really real quick. Do you have anything you want to throw in for a second? Yeah, hey, Brooke, um, real quick. I mean, obviously, when you have a when you have a canine on the airfield, uh, I know you alluded to earlier, you know, her picking up on, you know, say a coyote or a fox or, you know, maybe even a skunk scent. Um, have you noticed maybe like some of the other animals, the other, the coyotes and foxes, maybe her scent? and not coming in some of those, you know, fence line holes? So, um, I, with Nebraska, just because I don't have as much of a coyote issue as I used to, and, like, with foxes, um, I've learned kind of, like, where they're at. And I think um, with the fence holes, like, I think they definitely do get attracted if they smell something, especially if she, like, you know, goes to the bathroom on the airfield or anything like that. That's going to attract them to be in that area because it's like you know with canines in general they're very territorial and not even just like I'm not talking about like house dogs but I'm talking about like actual canines like wolves and coyotes foxes and so on through that chain like they're just very territorial like they know that there's another outside canine in their territory they're not going to be happy about it and that's why you can be so successful with trapping if you say you take a pile of coyote feces from one location and move it into a new location they're going to be like, wait, what's this? This isn't my spot. Like this, you're basically in their yard and they don't like it. Um, so that's definitely going to help me with like 
having her near like where I set traps. And that's why like I specifically set traps in certain spots along the fence line. And I noticed that a lot when I was in Rhode Island, like letting the dogs out. Cause then I would like, I had a lot of game trail cameras set up on my Rhode Island airports cause they're a little bit smaller. And I knew where the issues were for that. Um, so I was trying to watch the coyote activity and I, I would watch like a group of coyotes come right to where like I know Grace pooped that day on my cameras. So it's, um, it kind of just, it helps me out when it comes to like picking out where I want to set up my traps and like how I justify why I'm doing it right there. Yeah, I lived, uh, so I lived in Indiana, you know, obviously another Midwestern state that has, and uh, when I lived in Indianapolis uh, in the suburbs, so we had, we had a ton of coyote problems, right? Um, obviously with, you know, the loss of habitat and, you know, housing tracks going up all over the place, um, you know, coyotes, they, they didn't have any place to go, right? So we we're seeing them in our backyard nonstop and uh, we bought, you know, we bought a yellow lab. Um, her name's Mary. And, you know, we used her for bird dogging and stuff like that. But we had trail cameras set out because obviously being a deer hunter, um, we lived on a wooded lot. But it seemed like every time we were out doing drills and uh, retrieving drills in the backyard, that same night, we'd have probably close to like 10 to 15 different pictures of, you know, coyotes coming in the backyard and doing exactly that marking down their scent and, uh, and, and leaving lots of droppings behind. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Exactly. And like, it's just, it's neat to see like how even like, you know, with a dog that you have as a pet, like, and whatnot, and like how they actually work with these outside canines. And like, I mean, when I was in Idaho and Grace would I get, Grace and I would go hiking in wolf country, like just had to be careful. Cause like, you just never know like when they're going to come out because they're, you know, annoyed someone's in their spot and like in their territory and, it's the same problem here in the suburbs. I don't see, I don't see or hear too much about coyote issues here in Lincoln. I'm sure that there are rounds. Um, like there are warning signs around the state parks that are within the county of, or like uh, Lancaster County within the, the city limits. Um, but like you see foxes all over the place here, and I'm sure it's just because we have farm fields all over the place, and it's just more of like their habitat style, where I feel like either the coyotes are just little more Elusive, or I don't know. I just don't really. I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't gauged that. But I'm also only been here for three months, so like I'm still kind of learning. As and obviously, as seasons change, like it's a whole different game ball game after a little while. So obviously, you've had you know you've had a lot of experience with Grace, um, you know, and without. What do you think? I mean, aside from what you already talked about, what do you think is the biggest? You know. Like, what's the biggest advantage Grace with you opposed to not having her with you? Um, other than having someone in the truck with me all day long, <laughs> it, it can yeah. get kind of low. Until she, when I was in Rhode Island, I used to put on, like, 200, 250 miles a day just driving that whole tiny little state. Um, so, like, I just spent a lot of hours in the truck by myself. So, like, having her with me all the time is uh, it's probably the biggest bonus for me as a moral thing. But um, it's just... It's, it's great for goose control, honest, like, the goose and the bird control, and, like, knowing I have something that, like, can easily, like, if I can't get to my pyros quick enough, or I can't use a gun, or, like, I'm just running out of issues, and also, like, if I'm hitting, like, 
a bunch of birds in this area, like, making them uncomfortable, like, at, like they're not going to want to come back. And, like, having that threat of a dog. Because, like, they use um, the canine, which I'm blanking on the word right now, and I used it in Rhode Island. Um, what are the cutouts called? Or is it just cut out? The effigy. The dog effigy. That's what I'm trying to think of. So you have, like, the dog cardboard cutout that you put on a stick, and it has a spring, and, like, they move around, so it kind of deters... Um, geese or birds of any sort landing in that like specific area so it's kind of nice to have a live dog where like she can be an actual threat and she actually has grabbed a hold of a goose before and killed it by herself um which I didn't expect to happen one day and it was not the best spot for it to happen and I like she was in tall grass and all of a sudden like she just has this goose by the neck and I was like oh my god no (laughs) like well I guess I'll add that to the definition permit right now so, um, it's kind of great to have something so aggressive go after these flighty animals to keep them, maybe, like, if they see her and they, like, you know, animals do pick up on, like, on, like, being scared of certain things, um, say, like, they'll get used to, like, if they know, like, I feel like with a deer it was, like, this a little bit better, but geese can kind of get a little wary, too, of, like, our trucks and stuff and the lights on our truck and also like hearing gunshots go off all the time or having the dogs around all the time so it's just one of those things to make them uncomfortable from wanting to be on that airport like they just won't want to be there yeah. i guess like it'd be the best way to compare it is like obviously over hunted land because if any land is hunted too or not too much but like to a normal amount or throughout a season, you tend to see like your target species kind of disappear after a while. Right, it's that it's that constant pressure uh, that's really going to mitigate mitigate them for you. You know, the more pressure you can throw on, the better off you are, really. Exactly. So we're getting kind of close uh, to our end threshold. Is there any? One question I kind of have is, you know, you kind of gave us a bunch of anecdotes um, of, you know, working with, with Miss Grace. And, uh, what do you think your favorite, like, do you have, like, a favorite moment you always kind of look back on and kind of smile from, from working with her? Or just, even maybe just a, you know, a non-work-related moment? Oh, I, I have a lot. So she's basically my child, and it's been, we're, we'll be on two years of being together in January. Um it's just the fact that, like, you know, I found this dog on the side of the road. And when I found her, she crawled up to me, like, couldn't even stand up and walk over. She was just so terrified of literally everything. And she still is pretty skittish. Like, there are some things I have to work through with her, like, and there's, like, we have our good days and our bad days and whatnot. But um, I think it's just, it's been so much fun, and it's been such a life lesson for both of us, the fact that, like, I get to work and see her progress every single day. And even on her bad days, like, there's still a little bit of progress. And, you know, some days we go five steps forward and then ten steps back, but the next day might be a lot better than that. And I think right now um, what I'm getting really proud of of her is, so on top of the fact of being scared of everything, is, like, she's not gun-shy anymore. She hears the gun go off, and she's very excited. And it's, like, the fact I took this dog that's a year and a half, or she was a year and a half old, and now she's three years old, from being, you couldn't talk too loud around her, to she hears a gunshot and she's ready to go retrieve whatever I dropped. So that's been huge. I mean, even right before I moved to Nebraska, she'd hear a 22 go off and she like would run for the hills. And now like, she's just so like ready to like go get whatever I get. Like, you know, I'll shoot with her and she's sitting in the truck with me and then I just let her out and she's off going for whatever bird it is or 
rabbit or anything. Um, and also, we're really big into water retrieval because I'm hoping to add a uh, little waterfowl into a game of retrieving out of, uh, we do have a water source next to the airport, so it'll be nice for her to actually go down and get the birds for me, but also for personal use as well, as I want to get more into waterfowl hunting instead, in, in general. So, um, yeah, it's the uh, last week, I guess, for an exact moment is just the fact that I injured a dove and it went into this tall grass and she got out of the truck and found it within seconds. And I didn't even really have to guide her or tell her where it was or anything like that. It was just nose to the ground. And it was just one of my really proudful mother moments where I was just like beaming all day. Like I did not have a good day that day, but that moment and that day was like, it made my week so much better. Oh, there's something to be said about watching a good dog work. Um, oh yeah. For, and it's just great to see them progress. Oh, it's it's unreal watching them, especially you know when they get that you know when they get it figured out and that note you know that scent cone is just right and uh, just I mean I love hunting, but hunting with a good dog just adds a whole another level of on top of it. So I'm kind of curious. So I was kind of uh, I was kind of wondering as you're saying like like how how did you progress, Grace, from being so gun shy to you know where she is now. Uh, honestly, just, uh, just getting her used to it. Um, she, like, even you walk around with a gun in your hand and she's kind of, like, very wary about, like, what you're doing. But honestly, she's also scared of when I'm carrying groceries inside the house, too. So, um, <laughs> it's kind of, she's just a little nervous Nelly about everything. But it was just, this job really did help a lot with the fact that she's always in the trucks with me. Like, in fact, I was always using either a pellet gun or you know, a paintball gun, the 22, the two, or the 223 that I have, um, or my shotguns, you know, she's just always around that noise. And then she realized, oh, wait, there's a treat afterwards. If I actually shoot, like, get whatever I'm getting. <laughs> um, right. And she realized that it was, I started off with the 22 a lot. It was like, cause I like to use those for like the smaller birds. And like when I was in Rhode Island, it was kind of nice, like with the pellet and the 22s, like I could be a little more discreet with things. Right. Um, and then, then, like, so she realized that, and I'd use those on the GAs, and if the bird was down, like, or the rabbit or whatever, I started off a lot more with rabbits than anything, and then she would just go after that and go grab whatever I got for her. Um, and then she would do it at my friend's house, too. Like, he had a lot of woodchuck issues, and, like, we'd just sit there with the 22s and pop them off and let the dogs go finish them off for her. And she just, she got that taste, that taste of blood in her mouth, and kind of went crazy with it, so I'm in, I think that's why she went after that goose that one time, because she just realized, she's like, oh, I can actually do this myself, um, so yeah, now she just realizes this, there's a tree at the end of it, and she just loves it, she loves gross things, so, like, the fact that she gets to hold a dead animal in her mouth, and she's really, I mean, she's a golden retriever, so she's very soft-mouthed, so she doesn't damage the bird or anything like that, but, and if it still is kind of alive, it's even better for her, because then it's kind of more of a game for her. I've seen her catch doves just straight up out of the air. Like, they'll flush up um, to kind of try to fly away, and she'll just, like, launch herself right at it. No, that's pretty cool. But, um, and, like, honestly, with anything, with any animal, or, like, this can be with people, too, just consistency, just working on it every single day and making it a positive thing at all times. Yeah, and I think that's something that's, you know, that's I think that's probably the, the thing that's really going to have to get reinforced to people is, you know, is it's constant. Um Cause, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I personally, I think it'd be really cool if more airports could could utilize, you know, canine companions, and more so, you know, 
because usually only canines you see on on uh, on an airfield are in use with you know some sort of law enforcement TSA or right. or the police or, or whomever. But um, I feel like that's one niche of our field. One, it's not really it's developed and people use it because, like you said, we uh, like in addition to Grace, we have um, Epic mm-hmm. uh, back east and. Um, and I almost think we had another dub, but I'm not actually t- entirely sure on that, so I'm not going to comment. But uh, I, I, don't know, I think it would be pretty cool to be able to have more uh, more availability. Um, I, know, I know Grace is your personal dog, and it's, you know, it's kind of, she's kind of fallen into that niche, but I feel like that's a niche that more airports could probably get some really cool use out of. Oh, 100%. 100% I agree with you on that. It's like the fact that, like, as long as you, you know you have someone who knows, and I'm not gonna say that I know that because a lot of it's just like um, it's lessons for me anchored. But like I've been working with dogs and training animals in general because I used to breed a lot of horses and ride a lot of horses back home growing up. So I've been working around like reading body language a lot, and it's just you know it's very rewarding for both the dog and the you know the owner and whatnot to work with these animals. And I think. Airports, like, it is a really, like, all of them have huge fields. All of them are huge attractants to all these kinds of birds. Like, she even sees goals in, like, someone's, like, uh, in a parking lot, and she wants to go after these birds. So as long as, like, you know, the person and the dog work really well together. And, like, it's also great that, like, I know she's never going to take off. She never has. She never will. Like, that's just not who she is. Like, um, and just working, because I know that's a liability with having a dog on an airfield right. or at or in any public situation where, like, you know, whatnot. But her and I can walk down the street, and I live on a pretty busy, busy street here in Lincoln. I don't really ever have to be sure because I know she's not going to go with this. Um, so it's just like working with that animal so you can have that kind of um, like work relationship, basically, to know that you can, like, and it's like working with a coworker, of, like a human coworker. Like, you've got to have that good relationship so you can trust each other to get the job done. Right. So one of, when you were just saying about her running off, do you ever run her on uh, an e-collar or if you've run her before on like a check cord or to, to prevent her running off? Or is that something that she just kind of naturally kind of sticks close to mom? She just sticks close to mom um, since the day I've had her. I've, I had to teach her to be on a leash and she was actually scared of the leash for a long time. So I had to tie a leash to her throughout the day and like just let her walk around with leash driving so she can stop being so scared of it. But um. And I only do that just because it is kind of handy to have, so I can bring her whatever if I do need to be sure. But yeah, no, she, uh, I have thought about getting a shot collar a few times with her, um, which I still kind of am contemplating because, like, sometimes her, like, her attention span is a little short, and she, or she gets kind of stuck on a scent, and, like, not that she'll go off after a scent, but she won't get off of the scent, and I'd be like, okay, we need to keep moving on, like, we need to do something else, or I need your attention right now. But honestly, like, she is really responsive to, like, all my voice and my commands. Like, I do a lot of clapping and snapping and stuff like that. And she knows her words and where she's supposed to be. And it's kind of like, I mean, I've hiked miles and miles and miles with her in backcountry. And I've never worried about it. Also, like, I've left her in places. And, like, I was on a ranch uh, remotely out in Idaho. And dogs were allowed inside the houses and stuff like that. And, so I just left her out to do whatever she wanted to do. And she literally laid down next to the cabin I was sleeping in. Don't know how she knew which cabin that was. She just laid at the door the whole three hours I left her by herself. And 
everyone's like, you're not scared, she's going to wander off, and she's not going anywhere. It's like, yeah. she, I just never had that issue with her. No, she sounds like an awesome pup. But, I mean, I mean, three years old, I mean, she's still got some pup in her, at least a little bit. Oh, trust me, she's got a pup in her. Um, she, uh, it's, it's great because, you know, she can sleep 24 hours straight, and she can sit in the car for 20-some hours because we've done it together before, like, going cross-country. But then also, you know, we'll go hike 18 miles straight in a day with, you know, three, 4,000 elevation gain and still be – she'll take about a half hour nap to, like, reevaluate everything, and then she'll be ready to go the next, like, after she's done napping. Like, she bounces back really quick. Uh, her and I do running a lot together. Um, she's just – you know, she has energy when she needs it. But also, like, I'm pretty uh, aware of what I'm feeding her as well. And, like, I feed her diet as her energy level needs it too. So, um, you know, when we're not doing so much, like, I maintain her diet. But then also when we are doing, like, a lot of either hiking or running or when I'm working her a lot, you know, I up her crude, uh, crude fat and protein. So I know she's getting the correct nutrients for her body. Yeah, that's something you don't, you don't hear about all, all the time. Speaking of, where are you? There he is. Sorry, you you mentioned napping. All of a sudden, my lab started crying. He was dreaming or something. But uh, I couldn't really hear a lot. You were saying all oh, he was Boone in the background. Oh no, you're good. Um, yeah, she just uh, like right now she's she's been passed out for probably two hours. She just sleeps a lot, and then you know she can run whenever she needs to, and it's great yeah, to I have think- the different energy levels. I think that's a retriever thing because, I mean, well, Brian, you've had Labradors too, but, uh, like, that's how Boone is. You know, he'll be go, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, he'll sleep all day long on a Saturday, and then you take him out hunting or something on a Sunday, and he's, he's gone. But oh, 100%. 100%. They, uh, it's, they have a tendency to rise to the occasion, especially if it's something that they want to do rather than something that we want them to do. So right. they're, just like, they're just like kids, so <laughs> – Right, it's like taking them to Disneyland. It's taking them out in the quail woods. There you go. Um, hey, Brooke, one thing real quick. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys can't hear the lightning storm behind me, but um, <laughs> I think we're getting what you guys got. So, um, yeah, one of the things I think you guys really hinted on, um, you know, circling back to more airports using canines. Um, you know, obviously, you know, in this country, we have a huge problem with dogs that, like, you ran into, even in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, people just dropping off dogs, but, um, you know, shelters and animal hospitals that have, you know, have of dogs. Um, if anybody out there, you know, obviously looking for, you know, a specific breed that you would recommend, um, if they were, you know, an airport was looking to get a canine on staff, uh, any breed that obviously you have, you know, golden retriever, and I know Jess, you, but is there any other breeds that you think would be a good idea to look for, um, you know, as a rescue dog to implement in an airport setting? So honestly, um, you know, as much as we try as humans to uh, mess with dog breeding and like what, uh, like using dogs for certain things, even though they're bred for certain jobs, like, you know, every breed the reason why they were created was for a purpose at least that's how it used to be and so I've been fully in tune with that lately especially like you know out west I was using a lot of different cattle dog breeds and those are you know they're not purebred like healers they're 
a mix of lines because this is what this rancher wants to use on like his cows and stuff. So, um, but I think for like airport work, if I were to suggest anything, I think it would be any kind of pointer, setter, retriever, just those birds that are, wow, birds, <laughs> those dogs that are bird crazy and the ones that like they're gonna get on a scent. You know, even any kind of dog you use for like rabbit or squirrel hunting or um, any of the coon dogs that they use for raccoons um, or uh, mountain lion hunting or bear hunting. I mean, those dogs that are going to have that drive, but also that attentiveness to their owner, because like you need them to pay attention to you really well and be like very like loyal to coming back to you. But you also want to be like this, like they, they know that like whatever they're going after, they might not even get to touch it. And like, they need to be okay with that. Where like, I feel like a lot of, um, other like breeds that can be used for this kind of work. Like I feel like a lot of people try to use uh, herding breeds and I, I just, it, I feel like it hurts the dog for the fact that like they're trying to put like, you know, the birds into a group and they can't group them because the birds take off. And I feel like that kind of just like, it hurts their confidence at that point where I feel like retrievers or flushers or, you know, setters of any point, like they're going to know like, Oh, Hey, this bird is supposed to take off and I'm supposed to go after it or I'm supposed to point at it. So they know where I'm like, this bird is. And I think that'll help the mentality of like the dog be more, more successful. Yeah. I mean, I fully agree with that. I mean, I'm not, I think the only hang up I might have is some of the pointers. Um, looks, I agree with the prey drive. I mean, they, they are unreal prey drive, but like I'm thinking something like what well, uh, the quail guys call them quarter mile dogs, mm-hmm. like like your Britneys and your your GSPs. I feel like they'd almost be too high strung. Um, I do I do agree with you on that. Like I know that those pointers and the Britneys and those like those kind of dogs, they they do have a lot of energy. Like the wire hairs, like they are just a lot of dog. Yeah, but they're gonna they're I, gonna range. They're gonna go. They're gonna want to be out, you know, three, four hundred yards from because that's how they're, you know, that's how they're bred, and a lot of them are mostly trained. Exactly. Yeah. So like, and it also depends on like the dog and the handler too. Like with uh, working with that, but and also if they're getting run enough on top of the hunting hours that they spend or doing whatever activity they're spending, making sure they're getting all those miles in because those dogs definitely need it out of their system. Yeah. Yeah, because I, th- I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think, well, with Grace, obviously. But, um, I mean, I think the Retrievers, in my book, I think the Retrievers are the best ones out there. Like, um, and, I mean, even something that maybe as small as like a – maybe like a Boykin Spaniel. I don't know if I'd go that – that's going too small in the dogs or, or, you know, sending a Boykin after a Canada Goose would be kind of interesting to watch. But – uh <laughs> But uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe more like like a Labrador or, you know, it's definitely a Golden, but like a Lab or like a, even a Chessie, you know, one of those more versatile, you know, they were bred to do a myriad of jobs. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think one of those is you'd be hard, you'd be hard pressed to find a less qualified breed. Right. I agree with you as well. Like, honestly, I didn't, as you guys know, because I found Grace, I was planning on getting a golden retriever. I grew up with black labs my whole life. That's all my parents will ever have. And I do respect them that much. I respect the breed a lot. They are just great dogs all around. Um, but honestly, it's funny because you talk about pointers and them being so high strung and whatnot. And like, I actually 
before before I found Grace was supposed to put a deposit on a friend's uh, puppy because she was gonna breed her or uh, German short hair, and I was gonna get one of those ones and have a pointer. So it's kind of funny how the world works out like that. That's yeah, that's how it always works out. Well, that's kind of how Boone was. Is a uh, uh, guy I was working with approached my dad. We worked my me and my dad working for the same company at the time, and uh, he says, "Hey, I heard Jess was looking for a pup." And dad says, yeah, he wants a black lab. That's what the, the cross was. And he said, well, it's a chocolate and a yellow. Yes. All right. says, so, you know, if any of them come out black, you know, let us know because Jess really wants a black lab. Well, day comes around, guy uh, calls us up. says, uh, hey, the pups are here. Is any of them black? says, every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite funny. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, lab genetics are crazy with that. And that's also, wow, a yellow and chocolate mix. That's quite the – and the funny part is, is that a year later, no, two years later, they did the same cross, exact same parents. Every one of them came out black too. Huh. It just, that recessive gene is real strong right there. That's the way it was. I kept thinking that, um, cause they had a, 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 a black lab female Molly. I thought they were messing with us saying that, you know, they told us the, the wrong, the wrong lady got bred, but, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, when we got, when we got my yellow, um, so the mom, the female, the, was a uh, chocolate lab and the, the male was a black lab and, um, you know, how that recessive gene works. So there was four black labs and three chocolate labs. And then she was the only yellow. And <laughs> so, you know, you know, my, my son at the time, I believe he was like four or five when we, you know, obviously the worst thing you can ever do with a small child is show them a puppy. Um, Cause we had no intentions of getting a puppy, but we just happened to be there. And it was just like, he looked at it and he's like, I want that one. And uh, so we had to get almost in like a little mini bidding war just for that, you know, just for the yellow lab because everybody wanted it. So, uh, but yeah, it was crazy to see, you know, the parents obviously being chocolate and, and a black lab. And then here's that one yellow lab puppy. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny how it how that works out sometimes. But uh, all right, guys, I think we're we've covered just about everything. Anybody got any you know closing comments, questions, concerns? Yeah, I think the biggest take I think the biggest takeaway from from this uh, from this episode here is you know obviously you know. <laughs> what I've taken away is, you know, yeah, you don't judge a book by its cover. You see a dog walking down the middle of the road. Um, you know, you can, you can almost provide a, a, an entire different life, uh, for that dog. So kudos to you, Brooke. That's an amazing story. And, uh, you know, I, I love, I love listening to stories like that and kudos to Grace for, for all the hard work that she's put in for not only Lou Makers, but you know, for you as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's been a fun ride with her, and you know I never ever do I regret picking up a dog off the side of the road. And even you know a lot of people ask me how I do it with like financial situations or moving all the time or what have it that this life throws at you. And I'm like, my dog is she's my child, and like no matter what, I will always do everything to make sure she stays with me. And I just she's my best friend, and I couldn't envision my life the past like year and a half without her so it's been fun no that's pretty awesome that's uh that's pretty yeah that's just a great story all around and, and I mean 
I mean, you didn't really plan on it to begin with, but I mean, just coming out with it, you know, a great work partner and, you know, it's, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to beat that. But, uh, all right, guys, I guess that wraps that. So I'd like to thank you guys both for coming on and, uh, I guess we'll catch you guys later. Yeah, stay talking to y'all. All right. Yep. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye.